Well, it looks like we have finally returned to duty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2018. Welcome to chapter two, and welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives deeply into the weeds of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our wonderful panel, including Rachel Clow. Hi, Chris. Hello. Zaki Hassan. How's it going? And Cicero Holmes. Give me more Tilly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we got a lot to talk about with Tilly because, well, the wait's over, guys. We're finally finally back. We endured the long slog from no Star Trek on TV to getting more Star Trek on TV. So I'm just over the moon because I I don't like reliving the dark times. So, uh, So on the day that we're recording this, which is Tuesday, January 9th, Star Trek Discovery has made its return to CBS All Access with the 10th episode of the first season entitled Despite Yourself. Now, fair warning, and for any people we may have picked up recently as subscribers, first of all, thank you for joining us. We hope you stick with us. But also, uh, as we explained in one of our earliest episodes, Discovery Debrief and the conversations that we have on it are designed to complement the viewing experience of watching Discovery, not to replace it or to dance around specifics. We tend to go pretty full on with spoilers in our episode discussions, just to give you fair warning. I'd like to spend the bulk of our time, as I said at the top of the show, getting into the weeds of the episodes from the perspective of four longtime Star Trek fans. So we hope you enjoy it. But it's been a couple of weeks, so how's everyone doing? Did you guys have a good holiday season? How was the winter break in terms of Star Trek consumption or shore leave, as you like? Zachy, did you guys manage to get together and just binge a whole bunch of Star Trek? Or what was what was the, the break like in Trek for you? You know, I, I went through uh, a couple of episodes of, of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. To be honest, I, I can't remember the last one that we watched. Um, but it's kind of ironic. The next episode of Deep Space Nine, so literally the next thing in our uh, chronological reviewing, is Crossover, which is the <laughs> first uh, of their Mirror Universe episodes. So I'm kind of, wow. I'm kind of wishing I, I had gotten to that before this week's episode. Oh, of sure. Yeah, that's understandable. How how serendipitous. But, I, it's it, the timing uh, could not be better. But uh, the other thing is, and I owe thanks to you. You you were hyping up how uh, Star Trek Beyond looks uh, under a 4K transfer, and uh, over the break, I got a 4K TV and a 4K Blu-ray player, and my first purchase, Star Trek Beyond 4K. So, and and what'd you think? Very well done. Oh my god, it's gorgeous! Oh good, I mean that's a movie I love anyway. So I, I just I liked it even more with the, with the 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 depth of the image. You yeah. Know, so. Paramount, send send a Christmas check. <laughs> yeah, really, he's earned he it. Made a sale. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because um, you know, and and Cicero watched the 4K Blu-ray of that same movie pretty recently, and the thing that I wasn't sure, I mean, nothing's going to capture the grandeur of a theater, right? And the right. seeing Starbase Yorktown in that movie in a movie theater was one of the few jaw-dropping visual effects I've seen in a movie probably in the last like five years. Like it because you know with the CGI effects now on big budget movies, sometimes they just tend to run together. There's not a, a lot of awe that can be created except for like the biggest of budgets. But I feel like Star Trek Beyond kind of stretched what it had and Starbase Yorktown was just absolutely beautiful and it definitely holds up on a 4K screen. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Cicero, my friend, how about you? What has your uh, break been like in Star Trek consumption, if anything, of course? I mean, I know you're you and the Spawn on Me crew are very busy guys, but uh, tell us about what's what what life has been like. So uh, after uh, our uh, discussion about Star Wars, I I took a break from a galaxy far, far away and jumped back into Star Trek because I don't know if you guys knew this, but over the New Year break or, or sometime in the holiday break, I think Stars maybe ran a full marathon of the Star Trek films, of the non-Kelvin timeline Star Trek Star Trek films. Yeah. So so it was just like I just turned on the TV and was like, hey, wait a minute. Is that Generations? <laughs> oh, First Contact's coming on next. Oh, damn it. I just missed the, the motion picture. And so like I, I got to sit and watch. Uh, I, I jumped in and out, but I was able to sit and watch uh, Star Trek, I mean, almost for a week. I, I took some time off uh, from work. Uh, in between Christmas and New Year's, and uh, yeah, just I was able to enjoy a lot of Star Trek, so um, more than I normally would. <laughs> well, that's really nice. To so hear. It felt good. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So, which which full movies do you think you got to take in? Uh, First Contact. First Contact is is one of my favorites. Sure. Um, I think it's I think it's one of the better regarded ones. Oh, clearly, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just just in general. Um, and uh yeah so first contact was was definitely up there and then uh i got to see a little bit more of generations than than i had seen i don't think i've ever sat through the entire generation oh, really? so uh shame on me I, like i've seen the entire film uh just in bits and pieces but i've never sat and watched it from beginning to end that still is true uh, because I didn't, I didn't sit down and watch it uh, while it was on. But uh, I watched that, and I watched uh, a lot of Undiscovered Country, and just that last scene um, with with uh, everyone on the bridge crew uh, on the bridge uh, minus minus Captain Sulu yep. um, was was just amazing to just sit and watch. Watch them all there for what what they all assumed to be the final time mm -hmm. um, was was really touching. It was it was a nice send off for for the, for the original series and and for that. Absolutely, part. it's a it's a damn shame we never got the same thing for the next generation crew. But uh, yeah. hey, who knows what's on deck with someone like Tarantino, right? I mean, ugh. Patrick Stewart says, "Hey, Quentin, maybe I'll come back for that," but. Right. <laughs> well, Rachel, what were we up to? What 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 was the biggest thing that we did in regards to Star Trek consumption while we were gone in the Pacific Northwest visiting our families for the holiday season? <laughs> I really want to troll you, but I can't oh, think come of anything on, good. I don't know. Well, she don't always know. does this. I'm like, <laughs> what were we up to? And she just like looks at me leeringly, like, how can I how can I throw a wrench in the works? <laughs> I'm sorry. We we went to Mopop and saw a bunch of cool Star Trek memorabilia from th throughout the ages. Yeah. And it was really cool and amazing and everyone is so much smaller than they look on TV. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was being obnoxious to a bunch of people that day because I was sending 
for, and obviously you guys don't know this, but the Discovery Debrief senior officers have a group chat that we all maintain. And I was sending a bunch of pictures to Zachy and Cicero of, of us in the exhibit. And I sent them to Kyle as well. Right. <laughs> they had uh, the top piece of Spock's uh, pressure suit from the motion picture. So I felt like oh. I had to send that to Kyle. And then, of course, they had the, uh, the reconstruction as, for as much as they could do of the original series bridge. So the original helm and navigation consoles were there intact, little chipped, obviously. I mean, 50 years old. I'm surprised that they still survive, frankly. And then of course the holiest of holies, Captain Kirk's original chair. And, uh, I had to bow in front of that thing because like I said, holiest of holies, but they had a lot of other great pieces, excuse me including hero models of the Enterprise D and E and Deep Space Nine. And they had a couple of uniforms and costume pieces. They had Voyager's captain's chair in addition to Janeway's uniform and tons of weapons, tons of props. Uh, My father-in-law for Christmas this year got me a Bluetooth enabled original series communicator and they had an original uh, uh, communicator prop. So I was able to compare the two, which was awesome. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we kind of, immersed ourselves pretty pretty deeply in the world it was almost like we were there chris was like he was like can we sleep here (laughs) (laughs) i think they i think they would have kicked us out yeah probably well they also so before you get into the exhibit they had a replica of the original series captain's chair that you could sit in and i'd never sat in one before and holy hell i i didn't want to get up i just didn't want to leave like it, it was so for something so simple, just, you know, the act of sitting, I sit on my ass at work all day, but sitting in that chair and it had the full swivel, it had the control panels on the left and right armrests. I mean, I, I can't really describe it. I just, I just loved sitting in that chair so much. Did you, did you feel the weight of command? I, I, you know, I, I could feel the deck plates moving beneath my boots. That's what I could feel. So, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. If you're, if, if, if we have any listeners in the Seattle area and you have not gone to the museum of pop culture, definitely do that. If, if you're a star Trek fan, because there is plenty to see plenty of awesome stuff to see. And when you're over by data's uniform, look in the floor because then you might see his severed head. Pretty awesome. Whoa. Yeah. But, uh, why don't we move along, uh, before we get to the episode discussion, it's been a pretty interesting winter break, not just for us individually, but also for all of us on the show. Uh, so let's do some news first, as well as some of our observations about Trek fandom as we open up into 2018. So the first news item that we have is about the dreaded and still controversial delivery system for new episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Last week, it was announced that Amazon Prime had added CBS All Access to its channel offerings. So what does that mean? Well, for the same price as a separate no commercial CBS subscription, you can add CBS All Access content to be watchable through the Amazon Video app. Now, you're still paying for it. In fact, if your current CBS subscription is the $6 a month tier that includes ads, you're actually going to be paying more But for those already deeply embedded in the Amazon ecosystem, it'll make it slightly less annoying to watch new episodes of Star Trek Discovery as they come out. But also on a technical note, watching all access content through Amazon 
enables 5.1 surround sound, which is a feature that's apparently not currently available through the dedicated all access app. So, and also this only applies to people in the United States. If you're outside the United States, then there, I think most people outside the US can actually watch Discovery on Netflix. So you guys are the lucky ones, but um, for the rest of us, something to consider, especially if you're already an Amazon Prime member and you fire up Amazon Instant Video on a relatively regular basis. Another thing that definitely needs to be touched on is that this past January 3rd marked the official 25th anniversary of the premiere of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as the two-part pilot episode Emissary was aired on January 3rd, 1993. So happy birthday, Deep Space Nine. Everyone here at Discovery Debrief loves you very much. Do you guys remember where you were when you watched the premiere of Deep Space Nine? Where was I? I was at home. It was my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I watched it. It was my senior year of high school. So that just ages me a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I, uh, I, I remember thoroughly enjoying it. Um, it was, it was definitely a landmark moment for me. Um, because I, you know, I had loved, I've always loved Star Trek, uh, you know, in the, in the New York area. Um, syndicated versions of the original series aired every night on channel 11 shout out to channel 11 wpix um (laughs) every evening and uh when the the next generation came out um i was really excited about it but i was more excited for uh ds9 because for the very first time we were going to have uh the lead actor was a person of color um, and to be able to see a person that looked like me and not only looked like me, but was Avery Brooks, who, who had played Hulk on uh, a really great, great series or two great series uh, prior to this. So this was a, an actor of note um, to be able to see him throw on the uniform and, and live in that in that universe was something that I was super excited for. No, that's an awesome perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Zachy, how about you? I was a freshman in high school, and uh, we had set the time right home, but we were visiting my uncle. And so uh, I remember very distinctly, uh, it was on WGN, which I thought was interesting because um, Next Generation aired on WPWR, and I just assumed that both Star Trek shows would be on the same station. And I remember that being like, I was jarred by that. <laughs> <clears throat> Because seeing Captain Picard on a different station was very strange, you know, because he's in the pilot. Right. Um, but yeah, a very similar reaction to, to Cicero. I mean, I mean, uh, at the time, I was not super familiar with Avery Brooks. I became familiar later, but just that, just having a brown person leading a Star Trek mm-hmm. show, you know, and and it's something that we re- we do take it for granted now the the notion of of having a lead of color, but you know. It was revolutionary, and so I, I love the fact that Star Star Trek has always been at the forefront of breaking down those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Rachel, you probably were too young to have watched Deep Space Nine when no, it first I, premiered. I never watched it at the time. Oh, that's, a, that's an error that you have since remedied. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I only vaguely remember watching it uh, on my dad's lap because I was five years old when Deep Space Nine first, uh, first came out. And <clears throat> my brother was just transfixed on it because my brother religiously watched The Next Generation. And I was, uh, 
I, I would always be obnoxious and come into his room while he was watching the next generation. And I remember he had the, uh, the old playmates next generation bridge playset, And he had all the figures of all the crew and everything. And I think he had Gowron and he had Lacutus and he had a bunch of different figures and, uh, Playmates also released a uh, like a 25th anniversary set of the original crew in a box that looked like the original series bridge, but it was yep, only I, I've got I've got the, oh do you the, it's I've got I've got two because I bought one uh, last year for myself and then uh, there was another one on eBay for twenty dollars oh the whole wow set. wow and I got that for my kids wow. awesome oh, oh, they're great awesome. figures. It, they're fantastic and they're very rugged yeah yeah and they all they can they came all of them came with communicators and phasers but the reason that i'm bringing this up is because one day i hoarded my brother's bridge play set but i wanted to play with my crew so i put the original crew on the next generation bridge and i was terrified <laughs> that my brother was going to come home and see me playing with his toys and he came in and i was just petrified and i looked up and he just burst out laughing because for some reason it was so ridiculous to see captain kirk sitting in captain picard's chair <laughs> and that funny bone for some reason but so <clears throat> you know my house very much appreciated star trek so we watched the deep space 9 pilot with with great interest although not a lot of grasp of the substance but that's also an error that i have since remedied right. and now i i, I feel like the substance uh, i feel like the substance kind of snuck up on people because it really did come gradually yeah yeah yeah, yeah this was i mean so the i mean one of the things that was always interesting about uh about ds9 was the fact that um you know where where uh TNG was met with a lot of trepidation um, because, you know, Star Trek was Captain Kirk and and all of these people, uh, you know, that a lot of that trepidation went away, um, you know, and, and, and obviously history, of course, uh, blur, blurs those lines completely so that it, you know, almost to the fact that to the point that it doesn't exist. But Deep, Deep Space Nine was something that was completely an anomaly because they were talking about how it was just going to be on a space station. And so Star Trek yeah. was never stationary. It had never been stationary, right. you know, until that point. And, and people were um, maybe fascinated, uh, maybe curious, but I think a, a lot of people were dubious if Star Trek could actually exist not on a ship. Well, it is a little antithetical to the title, but the thing that I absolutely love about Deep Space Nine is that it's the show that feels the most lived in. Yes. You know, like you get more of a sense of what life is like in the Star Trek universe through Deep Space Nine than you probably get on any of the other shows. Absolutely. And uh, for someone who, as a young person, often fantasized about being in the 24th century, that was a wonderful thing to provide. And, uh, and it, it made it feel, and I use this word loosely, of course, because, you know, it doesn't really apply in its literal sense, but it made it feel more real. And, uh, cause I mean, DS nine had almost a gritty quality right. when you, especially when you compare it to the next generation, not that next gen couldn't get to that point in some places, but, uh, I mean, Rachel and I were watching the episode the other day where Jake follows Dr. Bashir to the front lines of the Klingon war mm -hmm. that was flared up. 
And, uh, you know, Jake is writing a story about the doctor trying to, to help save people. And he's confronted with what the horrors of war actually look like. And there's not really an episode of next gen that is comparable to that. But, uh, Rachel, why is Deep Space Nine your favorite? Like, what is it about it that connects to you more than even the next generation, which you adore with all of your being? I I really like Next Generation. I don't know, because depending on the day, sometimes Next Generation is my favorite. Mm. I don't know. It's but like uh, Batman and Superman. <laughs> uh yeah, but but Next Generation has all those like some some real hokey episodes and a lot of those. Um and uh, I think Deep Space Nine is definitely more um, even in that there are some bad episodes, but they're not that bad. But, you know, I also kind of adore bad things. <laughs> so so that's that's why sometimes TNG wins, because I, I, I like the... But you don't feel that way for Voyager, which has a higher degree of those kinds of episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have different thoughts about Voyager. I just didn't connect with it as much. Yeah. Um, I guess Deep Space Nine. I what you were saying about it feeling lived in and having so many non-Starfleet characters, um, just me. I think makes you really understand what it feels like to maybe live in that kind of semi-utopian society but also the fact that it had so many non-utopian elements Mm -hmm. like the war and um and having to sort of deal with actual conflicts in that way um is really interesting i think it's also the of the star treks of the non-discovery star treks it's the one that that the show that really feels most like it could be a modern show and that it it kind of has that continuity of uh, of plot mm-hmm. throughout seasons and it also I, I mean it deals with issues that you know come up like i i think i mentioned a few weeks ago i i was watching an episode that was talking um where they have the um the shapeshifters on on earth and it's kind of uh, addressing terrorism and what right. would you do to feel safe and what freedoms would you sacrifice to feel safe which is like basically the the last 17 years <laughs> in a, in a yeah. nutshell <laughs> um so uh yeah i feel like it 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 addresses a lot of problems that i i think about mm-hmm. in a sci-fi context yeah. which is why i i really like it mm-hmm. for that reason yeah yeah completely agree well i think we've gushed on on deep space nine just long i mean well probably not but just for the purposes of of time on this show i think we have uh one little last news item that i wanted to bring up just because i love this game star trek bridge crew was recently patched on all of its platforms on playstation vr on htc vive and on oculus rift uh or i I guess i guess i should just say ps4 and pc because now you don't need a vr headset to play it which is pretty fascinating. Yes. I didn't realize that this was a trend, but I guess some other VR games have taken this approach in order to make it more accessible, I guess. And uh, Bridge Crew is actually cross-play on all platforms, meaning nice. if you if you play it on PC, you can play with people who play on PS4 and vice versa, which is awesome. So uh, if you're curious, then check it out. You could probably find it on sale, and it's a great game, and I highly encourage playing it. But... We got a very interesting look at the, let's say, 
diverse set of opinions regarding Star Trek Discovery in a pretty drawn out Twitter conversation that we all participated in somehow, whether it was liking tweets or reading the flow of things or actively tweeting in the conversation. Cicero, do me a favor and set the scene for us. How did this begin? How did it play out? And what are your thoughts on it? So the debrief, the debrief Twitter handle, uh, DSC debrief uh, on Twitter, uh, was Mm -hmm. uh, retweeted something from the Discovery, the official Discovery Twitter handle uh, at Star Trek CBS uh, about the, you know, excitedly talking about how the show was returning. Discovery was returning in three days. Uh, so this, so that would make it Thursday or Friday. I think it was Thursday, um, mm-hmm. and you know I'm g- I'm great at math, guys. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, a someone who followed me on Twitter asked if that if if it would be available on Netflix uh, or when would it would be available on Netflix, and I responded to them um, about where you know where it would be, and and thought, oh, okay, that'll be the end of it. And then someone uh, who must have been searching for Star Trek or Star Trek Discovery uh, because it was someone that was not affiliated with either Debrief, myself, or the person who tweeted at me uh, responded with, uh, you know, some some type of terse and reductive uh, description of of Discovery and uh it, it was, you know, looking back, it was actually kind of funny. And I responded uh, in kind with with that, you know, it was just a really reductive uh, synopsis of the show that could be levied upon any adult themed episode of of any television. And right. It was like an, like explosion dialogue, right. explosion. Right. Like it was yeah. Really, really simple. Yes. Yeah. Punch. And uh, right. and and then I responded with a very nice gif of uh, uh, Commander Spock falling over, saying, I can't. And uh, <laughs> then the, the floodgates, they opened. It just took on a life of its it own. Really it was did. so bizarre. It really did. You had people chiming in from what seemed to be all over the Star Trek fan spectrum, up to and including at least one influencer who's, a, I guess, a co-host on Collider Video, a man that I wasn't really particularly familiar with before the discussion, but who's worked, I guess, in the franchise as a documentarian, who just, I guess he goes on Collider Video and he just hates the show. And uh, in fact, there was even one of the fans who defended Discovery who accused the guy of hating the show because he didn't get a job on it. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I was like, whoa, this is uh, this is going to some very animated places. So, uh, no, it was it was a really crazy kind of explosion of different, very passionate opinions but also, like in in the instances where it could have gone entirely off the rails, I don't feel like it ever really did. Like things got right. heated, yes. but they never got nasty, which, in its own way, was kind of refreshing. I thought, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it it really was. And and in fact, uh, so here we are on Tuesday the tenth. Um, I am still receiving tweets. Still, yes. So I'm still receiving tweets, not not nearly to the uh, to the, the the frequency 
that I was receiving them. Um, but if I had to guess um, the amount of replies and responses in, in the multiple threads, I would put it somewhere around six or seven hundred. Jeez. Um, yeah, it was it was um, it was pretty remarkable. And and um, the thing the thing that it, it helped me to recognize is is a uh, there that the fan, Trek fandom, like many fandoms, is very passionate. Um, and the thing that was heartening was that when when most passionate fandoms at the point where most passionate fandoms do turn ugly and and turn blue and and get very kind of uh terse and in the weeds uh this didn't um so so kudos to everyone um kudos to everyone for keeping your cool and being adults um and uh and and understanding that you know we don't all have to agree with uh with everyone's opinions and you know i mean that's exactly what they are their opinions and and uh yes but 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 you know the the fact is that you have to respect the fact that someone is bringing theirs and and to respond in kind uh yeah. and and uh i you know so so th- I, it was one of the reasons that I didn't cut it off. Um, you know, I was to be, to be a little honest, I was getting a little bit tired of of seeing all of these replies back and forth. Sure. Uh, yeah. But the fact that it, it remained civil was the reason that I didn't uh, ask to be removed or, uh, you know, just kind of put a halt to the whole thing. So uh, I, r- I really appreciate that. And I hope that uh, some of those people that were uh, chiming in and responding and we're actively part of that group and we recommended uh, listening to the show are here today uh, listening to us and and I hope that you enjoy it and give us feedback. Yeah, absolutely. We always appreciate constructive criticism. Zachy, you must have caught wind of a little bit of this because I saw some activity, not much, but some. Did, did this strike you in any particular way, at least as far as the, the perspective of Star Trek fandom on Discovery? You know, it's it's I'm I'm kind of between the Last Jedi and and Discovery. I'm I'm kind of I've had my fill of entitled <laughs> fandom. You know, it really. I mean, it's it is exhausting. And what I what I always say is like, how do you have time to be so angry yeah. about this stuff? That's yeah. always you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's it's like life's too short, man. Find the thing you dig and go yeah. dig it and, and be, be passionate about it. And if somebody else likes something you don't, Hey, that's, that's cool. Like, and, and, you know, I think back to myself and I'm like, was I ever this way? And I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I don't have the, the ability to self-reflect enough where I, I would be like, I don't like this thing. So I want it stricken from right. the canon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's fascinating to me. It's funny. I tweeted this. Uh, this is not related to Star Trek, but I think it, it's uh, in the same wheelhouse where somebody I, – I saw somebody be like, oh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back for its fifth season. Why hasn't that show been canceled oh, yet? Really? And, and I didn't respond to this person directly, but I did tweet a general thing where I'm like, hey – uh, you know why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is in its fifth season? Because there are people who watch it, and there are people who like it. And, and that's fine. Like, what does it matter to you? You know, like, it, it, there's a, a cruelty. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because because uh, I feel like all of these franchises, whether we're talking about uh, Star Trek or Star Wars or, or Doctor Who, you know, just a few weeks ago they did the, the, the regeneration, and one of the last things Peter Capaldi says as he's, as he's about to transition to Jodie Wicker, he says – be kind. And I'm like, 
that's so beautiful. What a beautiful sentiment that we can apply in every aspect of our lives. Just you know, don't even have to think much beyond that. Just be, are you being right, yeah. kind? Right. And and part of that is how you conduct yourself in fandom. Oh, yeah. entirely, entirely. Yeah. And it's it's definitely something that fandom can lose track of. Rachel, you look like you're ready to jump. What do you got to say about this? We all need more exercise, Chris. We are Star Trek fans. <laughs> I, just, I, I maintain that if we all were getting the proper amount of exercise, we would not have time to argue on the internet or the energy to argue on the internet. Well, what if you're, what if you're tweeting while you're on the elliptical using voice controls? Ooh, using a Bluetooth communicator. Huh. Using a Bluetooth communicator. Of course, I'll, of I'll course they were all doing this. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I guess the thing that surprised me about at least part of the conversation was the total and abrupt unwillingness of some of the fans to even accept Discovery as a legitimate extension of the canon. Right. Uh, I mean, so we've talked, and maybe it's because we're kind of in a relatively isolated echo chamber. I'm not sure. But I mean, we've talked about the fact that, well, the people who own Star Trek say that this is canon. So it's canon. But there are people who believe, I was going to say militantly, but that's probably too strong a word for it, but believe very passionately that, well, this just. Vehemently. Thank you. Yes. yes, vehemently that this just does not count, and uh, that's demonstrably untrue. But right. re regardless of that, uh, it just seems that people. I, I I wonder if they've actually seen the show because I have a hard time thinking that people who are speaking out this much against it are actually paying for a CBS All Access membership. You know, if they believe so strongly that they. Don't want to watch the show? Are they really watching it because there, you have to pay to watch it? So, so the original detractor definitely left evidence that not only did they watch the show, watch the entire series up until that point, um, because they they made mention to uh, different things that happened beyond the first couple of episodes, the first episodes that you would have seen uh, for free. Um, so, so the, the, the really interesting part portion of that is they religiously hate watch this show because, <laughs> because it is, because it is Star Trek, but they hate it because it's Star Trek and they feel like it shouldn't be. Um, it is, you know, it is, I can understand, um, and, and, you know, and not to get, uh, too, uh, political or you know whatever you want or whatever you want to call it um but i can understand the powerlessness that a person feels about a thing that they love and a thing that they feel like they understand and and all of a sudden it seems like the rules of that thing have changed um being you know being a a person of color in this in this country uh specifically and and being a a, a fan and a student of history um i've i've watched and have experienced that powerlessness in my in my real life um and and i can understand how frustrating and how demoralizing and how uh you know emasculating that is um but it doesn't change the fact that that's what it is mm -hmm. and and you know for those for those folks who feel like 
the canon was set this way. And there are things out there that contradict things that they have seen in, in Star Trek Discovery. Therefore, the things that happened in Discovery can't be official. Um, I, I'm here to tell you, you are objectionally wrong. Like that mm-hmm. is objectively wrong. It, it is, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. You don't own this thing. Yep. They own this thing and they get to determine and dictate what it is. And, you know, I mean, you can not like it and that's fine. You, and you can talk about why you don't like it. And that's and, and, you know, and that's exactly what happened over the Twitter feed. But it doesn't change the fact that that's what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I think Kyle put it very well when he joined us for the chapter one review episode. He he laid out a pretty rock solid case about. Well, if you actually do examine some of the deeper aspects of the Star Trek canon, how could you come to any conclusion but the fact that they're actually paying attention to how right. things have played out and where the show is is actively exploring in the continuity? Because they definitely are. The it, It's just like people are kind of obsessed with the visual look not syncing up. Right. But, you know, we're probably going to come to a point if we see... <clears throat> excuse me, if we see a constitution class starship in the next couple of weeks, then uh, that's probably going to be quite a dividing line among fandom if they don't explain something. And we'll get into that when we actually discuss the episode. But uh, it was a, it was definitely a very interesting conversation. Uh, but I think we're, we're, we should probably leave it there because we have a yes. lot to talk about with yes. the with the uh, the final the, the return of Star Trek Discovery. But again, if we did pick anybody up, if anybody is actually starting to listen to the show as a result of that Twitter conversation, welcome. You're among friends. Uh, feel free to disagree with us. We don't bite, at least not most of the time. So <laughs> thank you for, for coming on board, and we hope you stick with us, even if you don't necessarily share our passion for the show. So why don't we move along to our discussion of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 10, the beginning of Chapter 2, entitled, Despite Yourself. So after a long wait, the cliffhanger at the end of Chapter 1 has at least been partially resolved. If you'll recall, after committing to one last jump after the defeat of Call in the Klingon Ship of the Dead, Lieutenant Stamets agreed to undergo one more spore drive jump, which Lorca at the last second, tampered with, causing the Discovery and her full crew complement to end up in a part of space surrounded by Klingon wreckage. Now when we pick things up, they encounter a Vulcan ship, but when they try to hail it, the Vulcans attempt to attack Discovery before she's saved by an apparently other Starfleet ship, the Cooper. As the Cooper went off in pursuit of the attacking Vulcan ship, Discovery was left behind for its crew to figure out exactly what was going on excuse me so first question before the next big revelation at this moment in the episode where we still aren't entirely sure what's going on did any of you still feel unsure as to where discovery ended up or did this quick instance on its own indicate to you pretty quickly where we'd now find ourselves Cicero, why don't we start with you? Oh no, yeah, I knew it immediately. As soon as as uh, soon as the, <laughs> the the Cooper hailed them and called them Discovery, 
Um, I knew right away and, and in fact audibly shouted as I was sitting in my living room. Mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Rachel was right. Um, <laughs> she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, it's it, like right off the bat, like I, you know, there was there was no allusion uh, to to anything else. Um, but but that was that was literally only the tip of the iceberg. Sure. Yeah. Zachy, were you pretty sure? Or was it still like a maybe kind of thing in your mind? You know, when I watched the episode, it, my social media feed had just demolished that oh. spoiler for me. Um, so basically, like I knew before I even started, I was like, okay, so this is going to be a Mirror Universe episode. Uh, people didn't reveal like specific plot points, but even if you say Mirror Universe, and it's like, okay, well, that, <laughs> that's the yeah. that's thing. Right. Yeah. So, but that's fine. I, I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I had been robbed of some reveal because i think the episode itself doesn't dwell on making it feel like a twist sure. per se yeah. You know? yeah that's a very good way of putting it well when rachel and i watch this we usually don't say a lot to each other because well because we do this show i think that's one of the yeah, general yeah you, you gotta watch watch you got you do you do so rachel at this point what did you think? Did you, were you pretty sure it was in the mirror universe by yeah, now? Yeah, well, I I suspected it was before the episode even started. Right, of course. So, as you pre- you were the only one who stood by that prediction. As soon as the Vulcan ship <laughs> fired on them, I was like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially considering that we had only recently just rewatched In a Mirror Darkly. So seeing Vulcans fighting humans in the mirror universe was not alien to us at that point, right? Yeah, and I was pretty sure too, just because of that fact. But uh, still, there was a lot of unanswered questions coming out of that. It was hardly going to be the only thing that this episode needed to address. So moving along, after the Cooper exits the immediate area, Discovery's crew begins investigating the truth of where they are. Though they recognized the Cooper, they said it wasn't currently in service, since as far as they knew, it was undergoing a refit. So how could it be operating in the field? Obviously, as fellow members of the Federation, Vulcans would not attack a Starfleet ship under normal circumstances. So in the Klingon debris outside, they find the remains of Vulcans and Andorians alongside Klingons. Seeing that one wrecked ship has an intact computer core, Lieutenant Tyler is dispatched to bring it on board. While he's attempting to retrieve the core in a small worker bee craft, he endures more violent flashbacks, showing him images of surgery and mutilation with Laurel ever present. After Tyler delivers the retrieved core to Michael, Saru, and Tilly for study, he goes to the brig to see Laurel and to vehemently ask her what she had done to him. After a curiously tender exchange, Laurel asked Tyler in Klingon, who do we seek? To which Tyler catatonically replies in Klingon in a very familiar voice, Kalis. And it sounds a lot like Vox. (sighs) Laurel, though, notes that something about the personality assertion that just took place doesn't seem quite right because Tyler snaps out of it and he doesn't remember what he had just done, even though what they had just said to each other should have jogged. Vox, Tyler's memories, what's going on? Shock and awe. Not really. Not really. No. So we've been speculating for quite a long time on this show about the connections between Tyler and Vok, as most of fandom seems to have done. And now we finally seemingly have things at least apparently confirmed. So after all of that buildup and all of that speculation, how did this moment finally hit you, 
Rachel. Uh, I was really surprised that it the sleeper waking up process didn't seem to work. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to be like a big thing where now he's, now he's bad, but he seems all conflicted. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting and um, went against my expectations. And I, I like, I like when stuff like that happens. Surprises. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I have it all figured out, but then they kind of throw a little bit of a curveball mm-hmm. at me. So. Absolutely. Cicero, did this moment meet with your expectations? Uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a really cool, uh, exploit or a, a kind of exposure of who this person was. Um, uh, we still haven't had it in quotes confirmed yet, but, uh, but it was it was really cool. I do f- believe that I have an answer as to why Tyler uh, mm-hmm. didn't completely awaken. Um, but I'll I'll save that for the next question and comment. Okay. All right, Zachy. How about you? How did this moment uh, hit you? If it hits you, uh, you know it. It's. I think I said uh, in one of our previous discussions that we've all like speculated about this to such an extent that anything else would be a disappointment. Sure. So it, it, you know, it, it was like, Oh, okay. So we're like, it's like, okay, we're just confirming what we already know. You know, it, it kind of reminds me, this is like a deep cut in comics, but like, uh, I remember in the nineties, there was all this speculation about who cable was like his identity. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. And, and yes. you know, the, the fan theory was, oh, it's Cyclops' baby son who they took into the future, right? And that was not confirmed for a long time because that was not the initial intent, but it became the conventional thing accepted among fandom to such an extent that when they finally revealed it, like, yeah, this is what happened, it was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it was like yeah. that. Well, that's what it's supposed <laughs> and to so be. And so there's a little bit of that. Exactly. You know, so so uh, I wouldn't say it was a huge shock, but it was like, okay, we've now confirmed this. Now let's now that that's done, let's you know, let's get the plot line moving. Yeah, sure. Either that or Shazad Latif is just really good at doing a Javid Iqbal impression. I mean, <laughs> yes. Wait, they dubbed in Javid's voice. Oh, oh, is that what they did? Okay. No, but you know, that was something that I, I thought was pretty interesting because I didn't realize that, uh, you know, Vox voice actually took some straining for him to, to make because it sounds very raspy, you know? And I thought that that was kind of a right. cool little extra layer of delineation that Latif attempted to to create w- between the two characters. So I thought that was really cool. It didn't really hit me. It was just more like an uh, a gleeful affirmation. It was like, yes, very much like right. Zachy just said, now we're going to move things along to a point where, you know, and, and one of you guys, I, I can't remember who it was, but one of you guys speculated that we would know before the characters knew. And whichever one of you said that was absolutely right. So, and, and, and that's right. cool. You know, I think that's a really good way to go about it. But uh, <clears throat> what do you make of Laurel's concern before Tyler put her back in the brig? Is the Tyler personality potentially overpowering the relatively weak-minded Valk? Or is there something more complex in play? Because we never really got an indication that showed Valk as this very true to himself gung-ho leader. Zachy, what do you think? I think I think it's it's interesting that they're sort of toying with our own expectations as an audience. I mean, I think the the entire 
you know, his arc up to now, Tyler's arc up to now has been to get the audience on his side, sure. right? And I think what this episode does in particular is really, it's, it's number one, it's asking the audience to say, well, who's, who is real here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it's also saying how far can a character go and potentially still come back? Sure. Uh, you know, and we see that obviously play out in, in later developments right. of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Cicero. Yeah, so the the key here is Michael Burnham, mm-hmm. and um, the 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 thing the thing that Laurel didn't anticipate is um, Ash Tyler developing genuine feelings, um, maybe even love um, for Michael Burnham, and that that love. For uh, Tyler's love for Burnham is superseding Volk's love for mm. Laurel. And it is the thing that is keeping Tyler from becoming Volk again. Um, and that was that was the thing that Laurel never anticipated. They anticipated she anticipated him ingratiating himself to the crew. Uh, she anticipated, you know, obviously she anticipated him ingratiating himself to Lorca and, and making his way onto the crew and, and had anticipated him, uh, her being captured and him being the person that would, uh, uh, uh free her eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that she didn't, you know, the, the wild card and all of that has been Michael right. Burnham. Um, and and she just couldn't she couldn't uh, she couldn't have foreseen that and and it is creating uh, a, a lot of conflict uh, both for for Tyler and for Volk and for Laurel and for Michael Burnham and probably for the Discovery crew. Uh, going That's a really good. You know, I, I genuinely didn't that didn't even occur to me that that's the the element that's separating. But it makes perfect sense. I think Rachel. Yeah, I agree. I I think that there's something about Ash Tyler's attachment to the crew or probably to Michael that's making it hard for the Vok personality to assert itself. Mm. Um, I guess the thing that I was thinking about a lot is how I, – I don't know what Laurel's sort of game plan was here. Like how did she know that like Ash Tyler would be on the Discovery and that she – like, did she always intend to be captured? Because she, I mean, she went to Admiral Cornwell, right? Mm-hmm. And, but did, she didn't know Admiral Cornwell was going to be there. So I don't, I, I well, don't she know. She did know that Lorca was going to be captured. They had Lorca when Tyler was. Right. Uh, okay. So, right. So, yeah, they, they, uh, intercepted Lorca yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically. Do you think that her intention was always to get captured then? Well, she when she made her case to Cornwell to quote unquote defect to the Federation, yeah. she clearly wanted to get close to them in some way. I don't know if it's playing out exactly the way that she thought it would, but uh, in some form, yeah, I kind of think that she did. Hmm. Okay. No. Well, 
Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, then this this is a very... Uh, uh, the reason that I say that is I thought maybe like she activated him before she intended to or mm-hmm. uh, something like she just kind of was like, hey, I'm going to activate you. Right. Um, and that, you know, the plan hadn't fully expressed itself yet and maybe that's why so she, it didn't work. she says, hey, open the brig and let's get started and it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to see how Valk is going to shake out in all of this, particularly because the the characters are now put in a situation, or at least Tyler is now put in a situation where he could potentially encounter Valk as a counterpart in the other universe that doesn't look like how he looks now. And I wonder if that might do anything, if that's a, if that's a possibility. There were some people who posted on social media a, a screen capture from the next episode that looked potentially like Tyler could have been fighting himself uh, in his true form. So, But there's also something to be said for uh, maybe that's a representation of an internal battle. It doesn't necessarily have to be literal. Sure. Uh, so either way, it looks like Ash Tyler, Valk, whatever you want to call him, Valk Tyler is in for a little bit of a rough ride as we move forward towards the season finale of Star Trek Discovery season one. So, I, so I have I have a a, a point to make, uh, if yes. I may. Um, I love this episode, and you know, so I'll get that out of the way. Um, but the the I did have problems with it, and they centered completely around a- Ash Tyler. Completely. Um, so they. Completely, completely around Ash Tyler. These, this was the only portion of the episode where I had issues. And and the issues were specifically with Ash Tyler, um, where I was screaming at my TV, why are they doing this? What, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And it's because of, of who Ash Tyler is supposed to be that I didn't understand it. And, you know, I didn't under, I didn't agree with how, how things were going. And the first part of that was why of, Everyone in the entire crew was Ash Tyler, the one in the shuttle going out to retrieve this precious piece of cargo that they needed when, you know, maybe Lorca didn't know, but he could have suspected that this this guy who had been tortured for months uh, by Klingons may be suffering from some PTSD, especially considering all of the stress that the entire crew has been under now that they're in some, you know, new, completely new universe that's unbeknownst to Mm -hmm. everyone. Um, So, like, you know, why was that happening? Then the second part was, why were they, why was he allowed to go in completely? I understand he's the chief of security, but why was he allowed to go into the brig by himself to see the person who tormented him. Yeah. Like he was completely unsupervised. Like I just I just didn't understand it and and what uh, you know so so watching the show I I had problems with it. Logically I understand that these were things that needed to happen in order to move the plot sure. forward. Um, but in previous Star Trek shows we've seen prisoners under guard. And the, if the right. security chief comes right. in, the security chief can dismiss the guard, but there's usually a guard right. on duty uh, besides just the chief walking into the brig to check on a prisoner. So 
I understand. Absolutely. I understand completely. All right. Well, well, we've got more to talk about with Ash Tyler later, as I'm sure you know. But uh, so moving along with the plot, after the examination of the computer core, Michael fills the senior officers in. They've arrived in a parallel universe and have apparently been transposed with their counterparts into their universe and vice versa. Michael confirms that the hegemony over all known space is an entity known as the Terran Empire, a human-only interplanetary state that embraces xenophobia, racism, war, and barbarism, a total inverse of the Federation. Specific details sparsely come in about their counterparts. Discovery in this universe is captained by the ruthless and sadistic Captain Sylvia Tilly, known here by one of her nicknames as Captain Killy. <laughs> Michael's counterpart was captain of the Shenzhou before apparently being killed by Imperial trader Gabriel Lorca, though her counterpart's body was never found and the indigenous Lorca is still at large. In order to survive undercover, Lorca orders the ship and crew to use the computer core to recreate Terran Empire uniforms while also painting Imperial symbols onto Discovery itself in order to blend in. For the foreseeable future... They are now the ISS Discovery, undercover in very dangerous waters. So the Mirror Universe returns. We haven't seen it since 2005 when A Mirror Darkly Part 2 aired at the end of Star Trek Enterprise's fourth season in April of 2005. So, my friends, after an apparent leak, some speculation, and now confirmation, what's the first thing that comes to your mind about the return of Star Trek's most arguably famous twisted alternate reality. Rachel? Uh, it explained things about the first half um, <laughs> because when Stamets came back and he was like, oh, sorry, Captain to Captain Tilly mm -hmm. or to Cadet Cadet Tilly. Yeah. Sorry. And, but <laughs> she it's because he was like hanging out in the mirror universe or something and he knew she was the captain there. So that explained it. And also is Groovy Stamets mere Stamets? <laughs> we need mm. we need answers. Mm. Valid question. Wow. Valid question. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm I'm just really excited about it. I think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. so. Cicero, the Mirror Universe. Uh, hey man, I'm here for it. It's it it does uh beg the question about uh Captain Lorca. Yeah. Uh, we you know, we kind of posited that question earlier in the season, and and you know maybe not dismissed it. Um, but, uh, they're definitely, I, I definitely feel some, uh, some shenanigans going on with Gabriel Luca and, uh, we, we really have some things to, to go forward with. Um, but as far as the, the, the mirror universe, I mean, I think the mirror universe is like for Star Trek is, is the beloved guest star. Mm. It is as synonymous with Star Trek as uh you know uh harry mud or q or you know transporter beams it is it, you know it is something that is there um that you if you're a fan a longtime fan of the series uh when you hear it you you almost immediately know what it means um but then to get to see what discoveries uh take on that is is what what it's all about yeah Totally. Zachy, this had to have made uh, an impression on you. Was it positive or negative? Uh, it was an impression. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I think I, 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 don't, I don't mind seeing the mirror universe. I do feel like 
none of the other visits to the mirror universe have ever matched the effectiveness of mirror mirror, sure. you know, uh, that first episode, I think all the deep space nine episodes, they got too far removed from this notion of, you know, the, the evil timeline, the evil yeah. reality. Um, and I, you know, so I, I never glommed onto those in the same way. I remember watching deep space and whenever they would do a mirror episode, I'd be like, uh, all right. You know, and, and in a mirror darkly, is nice as like an archaeology expedition, uh, but I, I'm I'm one of those people that never loved those two episodes of Enterprise mainly because I was like I I want to see my characters I don't want to spend two hours with these people who are all pretty vile sure. you know yeah and so when it came to this I was like all right cool it was actually funny because my wife and I were going through we're watching community right now and so she she doesn't watch star trek with me she puts up with me watching <laughs> star trek but she happened to see some of this and she's like what the hell's going on i was like oh it's the mirror universe she's like i don't know what you're saying <laughs> and i'm like remember on community when evil abed has the beard well that's like you know and so i had to like explain the mirror universe through community that's how she got it but you know it's what uh, i'll tell you what i did not what what i wasn't crazy about was that there was no sense of like, what the hell's going on? Where the hell are we? Like they have no direct interaction really with the mirror universe before uh, Burnham basically goes to like the Star Trek Wikipedia page. And she's like, oh, here's what's going right. on. You know what I mean? And <laughs> this, and here's the, the logo. And I'm like, I don't, maybe this is like me being like one of those fans that like we were just talking about, but I'm like, the fact that this is situated, you know, 10 years before the Enterprise will, quote unquote, first encounter the mirror universe, to me, it diminishes this in a couple ways because number one, it's like they've already got this. They got it figured out. But number two, it's like it's probably going to be wiped out or erased or something because how do you then reconcile this with, with what's going to happen later? Yeah, but, but, but let me be clear. This could all change next week. I mean, this right. is in media's mm -hmm. race. I mean, we're, the story's still in progress, so I'm happy to – be completely wrong. I, and I will say one last thing. Sorry, no, no. filibuster. <laughs> I I hope Lorca is not psych. I've been mirror Lorca the whole time. I really hope mm -hmm. they don't do that. No, that's a that because you guys know me. I'm a Lorca <laughs> fan. Right. Well, and you would. I think you expressed before that it would kind of undercut the development that they have made with them. And I tend to agree. Uh, yeah. Well. You know, it's it's kind of funny when we were rewatching In a Mirror Darkly. I think most of my personal enjoyment that I get out of that episode comes from a couple of different things, and it's not necessarily just that it's set in the mirror universe. The first is that it does something that I had always wanted to see in Star Trek up until that point by showing the antiquated vision of the future as more advanced than a modern vision mm. of the future. For some reason, I just love that. You know, they're in awe of the TOS phasers. They're in awe of the, the holographic uh, viewport that Spock looks in through on the Constitution class bridge. And uh, photon torpedoes are these hugely advanced weapons that they just can't wait to take advantage of. The phasers can vaporize people, and that's not something they're accustomed to. I love that stuff. I also plus Scott Bakula wearing, wearing the wraparound. The yeah, wearing the, the <laughs> wraparound. It's pretty it's sweet. Pretty awesome. And they're you know poking at the the multicolored squares on their plates. I love that. Um, <laughs> and you guys know how I feel about TOS. But in regards to Enterprise specifically, I loved the scene in a mirror darkly when uh, Hoshi and Archer look at the data files on their counterparts. 
because it yeah. gives greater service to those characters that we know and love uh, that, that we like more than these vile versions of themselves. Uh, particularly, you know, we find out that Archer served as ambassador to Andoria and that he would, he would eventually become president of the Federation and uh, even some deleted aspects of that that you can find on Memory Alpha that he died one day after attending the christening of the Enterprise 1701. Man, I mean, I love that. I love that. I wish that was like officially. Exactly. So exactly. Great. I mean, that stuff, you know, Enterprise had been so fast and loose with the fact that it was a Star Trek show. And then it actually committed to not just being a Star Trek show, but also committing to Star Trek's history and its present. Mm. So that's why I love that episode so much. But as far as this being, you know, a new vision of the mirror universe, I was very enthralled by it because it feels like modern television can now catch up with the viciousness of what that world is supposed to represent. And that stuff to me was so, so great and bone chilling in a lot of different ways, which we'll get to uh, again in a little bit. But I backloaded the next part of the conversation because I wanted to, to put it all together because it's a pretty big occurrence. So Stamets is seen recovering in sickbay with eyes that can either be described as having very creepy cataracts or that are very Gary Mitchell-y. <laughs> and he's he's saying very cryptic things, trying to warn Dr. Culber that the enemy is here and screaming out, don't go into the palace. And since we were talking about emperors uh, over the course of uh, this episode, it's not hard to imagine where that could go. But he comes out of his altered state briefly to warn Culber once more. But the moment is fleeting and he sinks back into his catatonic state. So during this and after he retrieved the computer core and spoke to Laurel in the brig, Lieutenant Tyler instructs Culber to examine him, now worried about what Laurel and the Klingons may have done to him. With Culver having taken a deeper look at his body, he finds some disturbing brain patterns indicating a personality placed on top of a previously existing one, along with evidence that his bones had been crushed and reformed to make a smaller frame. So with Colbert stating to the freaking out Tyler that he's to be removed from duty because he says, I don't know who you are, Tyler quickly breaks the doctor's neck in a swift motion, hurries out of sickbay as the crumpled form of Dr. Colbert slams against the deck. Stamets dazedly repeats, the enemy is here. So I speculated a while ago about the possibility of Dr. Culper's death a few episodes back, but I was still very surprised by this. And that surprise was not particularly positive on my end, only because I feel like Culber helped provide some of the biggest senses of humanity to this whole ensemble. So how did everybody here take the death of Dr. Culber? And do you think it's going to stick considering the somewhat crazy circumstances Discovery currently finds herself in. Cicero, what do you think? Um, this was a moment where um, I get ready to set your sensor uh, phaser, uh, where I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> this, I literally ex exclaimed that um, as, as I was sitting and watching it. I didn't see it coming. Um, so it was what what I did see coming was this Tyler thing, because if you remember, uh, as they're all trying to as the crew is trying to or the bridge crew is trying to figure out exactly where they are. Um, and uh, and Lorca kind of talks about being in a mirror universe. You see 
uh, Saru's threat rank ganglia uh, be, become pronounced, and in comes in comes uh, Lieutenant Tyler. Now, mm-hmm. at that moment, you're thinking the threat ganglia is out because they're just in a foreign place and it and it clearly is hostile. Uh, but you know, if your if your threat ganglia was out, you you'd know that it was it was for Lieutenant Tyler. Um, but I did not see the Cobra death coming. Um, I do not think it's going to stick. Okay, fair enough, Zachy. Yeah, I, I I definitely didn't see it coming, but I I agree with Cicero. I I can't imagine that this is permanent. They'll find some timey wimey reason to to undo it because I just <laughs> it's I mean it's it's like fridging, you know. It's it's it feels tacky, uh, and I just can't imagine that the first same sex couple in Star Trek, you know, is broken apart like this. It it would I don't know. It, it I. I think the people running the ship are a little smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rachel. Yeah, I agree. It's a little bit tropey that, you know, you got to kill the gay people first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really, really sad by it. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, neither, but I mean, it certainly got the point across that, uh, Ash Tyler is going through some serious, serious stuff. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Um, for that reason, yeah. And, and, you know, it also got the point across that we all get to know this and no one else on the ship knows it. So right. That's true. I, I understand the the sort of plot reasons for why it had to happen. And, and yeah. can I add just one thought also uh, as, I'm, as I'm listening? I, I, I think uh, I think Culbert comes back because uh, we need Tyler to end up at a place. I do believe he will be reclaimed in some way in terms of how the audience feels about him. Because I think that if Culber is dead, dead, you don't come back from that as a character. Uh, I mean, you don't come back from death, but I mean, Tyler doesn't come back from being the guy who killed him. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think he has to come back. And I think that Tyler either becomes an accepted crew member or he dies heroically. But for either of those two things to happen, uh, I think Culber needs to come back, in my opinion. Well, and that could link up potentially with your other theory, Zachy, about how maybe there's not going to be any trace of this jaunt into the mirror universe by the time we get on the other side of this part of the story. Very true. Potentially. potentially. Of course, that's just speculation on my part. <laughs> but uh, well, let's, let's move along with the plot with one of the bigger moments. So looking over the computer readings of a recent battle, Burnham discovers that a ship from their own universe is in this alternate one. The Constitution class USS Defiant, NCC-1764. Captain Lorca reasons that the crew needs to infiltrate a Terran Imperial computer and find as much information out about the Defiant as they can in order to see if they can get back to their home universe without using the problematic spore drive, as the Defiant obviously didn't need it to travel between universes. To that end, Michael and Lorca decide to pose as their Imperial counterparts, where Michael will assume command of the ISS Shenzhou, with Lieutenant Tyler as her personal guard, while Lorca will stand in the place of his fugitive counterpart and be taken into custody. Burnham and Lorca beam aboard the ISS Shenzhou, and Burnham recognizes the Imperial Shenzhou's captain as navigator Danby Connor on Captain Giorgio's Shenzhou, who was killed in the battle at the Binary Stars. Lorca is surrendered to the ship's agony booths, while Burnham heads to the bridge with Connor. In the turbo lift, Connor explains that when he assumed command, the crew didn't fear him enough. So he attempts to murder Burnham, and in a very visceral fight, Burnham stabs him in the chest. 
clearly traumatized by watching Connor die for the second time. Her ability to process this is cut short as the turbo lift doors open and Connor's body spills onto the deck. The crew celebrates the apparent return of their old captain and the death of their new one, saluting and shouting, long live Captain Burnham, long live the Empire. Later in Burnham's quarters, she finds Tyler and laments that she couldn't find the time to find the Defiant Files. They share a tender moment, if I think you can call it that, with Tyler still apparently devoted to Michael, but foggy on the murder he committed. And we end the episode with a rather horrifying image, if I do say so myself, of Lorca screaming in hysterical agony from inside one of those horrible booths. I never thought I'd say poor Lorca, but that's exactly what I was saying <laughs> at the end of this episode. So before I actually get to rankings, Zachy, I want to go to you first because holy hell, this is a deep cut. It really to is. To the Tholian web and to In a Mirror Darkly. So The Enterprise connection is what made my fanboy heart uh, giggle a little bit sure yeah you know because because yeah i mean tholian web sure but it's enterprise that established where the defiant ended up so uh, what this episode really does is it's like hey uh this is aimed at the trekkies we're not trying to we're not trying yeah. to widen the tent necessarily this is you know and and what we were saying earlier like people say it's not paying attention to, to continuity what do you call this right yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> Yes, because this is just such a such a broad uh, stroke and a rather a brilliant one that asks a lot of interesting questions about well, what the hell has the Defiant been doing for a century yeah. in the mirror universe as like an enforcer ship or as the Emperor's ship? Clearly, is- they've, they've upgraded it in some way. Yeah, I mean, it does look – that's my pedantic continuity thing for this episode is that clearly the Defiant looks very different. So is the Defiant – uh, schematic that we see Tyler looking at on the computer is that from the Prime Universe or is that from the computer core that they took from the Rebel ship? I genuinely don't know. But uh, Rachel and I were talking a little bit before we came on the air. And Rachel, you think that it's just reimagining what Constitution class ships look like in the Prime Universe, right? Yeah, that that would be my first guess. Is that that's just what they want Constitution class ships to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but could be anything yeah um yeah and because that was just a picture of it too like right yeah it was it didn't have any detail on it or anything except some different shapes on the ship and and it's from the vulcan ship so right oh oh, so was was that established because i didn't pick that up oh no i thought it was from like the computer core from the vulcan ship oh okay it probably was but either way very interesting especially you know for for longtime fans of the show but uh so now that we're at the end how do you think this story ranks thus far with our previous jaunts into the mirror universe? I mean, we kind of touched on this, but uh, Zachy, what do you think? Um, I rank it as other, as in there's the first <laughs> one and then there's all the others. And that's not, right. it's not bad company to be in, just to be clear. But I, like I said earlier, I think uh, to me, the mirror universe is, is it's the spice in the stew. And so I, you know, a little bit of spice goes a long way. Now, uh, we had talked before I get to everybody else because we had talked a bit in th- in this episode and in others about you know the whole conspiracy theory about Lorca being in the mirror universe. Do you think, Zachy, that we got any other information from this episode that may have indicated that the Lorca we know is indigenous to the mirror universe, or do you still think that that's 
kind of wide open and where do you think it's going to go? I don't think they do anything in this episode to tip their hand. I mean, the, the only piece of information we have is him monkeying with the, the coordinate in the last episode, but I, maybe I missed it, but I don't, I don't see anything in here that would be like a smoking gun. Sure. Yeah. Cause the only real information we have about the counterpart is that he's at large. That's right. And, uh, and then that's about it. Okay. One last thing that I want to throw to you, Zachy is, how about that? Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> He's oh, number yes. one. <laughs> My favorite guy. Jonathan Frakes directed this episode, of course, the infamous, or I should just say famous, Captain yeah. William. Or, yeah, In, Captain inf- William T. Riker. Infamous is his mirror duplicate. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, did any of you guys notice any, because Rachel said that she thought she might have noticed some stylistic flourishes that were freaksian mm. but uh zaki did you pick anything up like that you know I, I i didn't and i think to me that goes to just his skills as a tv director and i just to be clear i don't say that as a diminutive i think it's a very specific kind of skill set where you can go to any uh tv series already in progress and you scope out what their specific s- style is and he actually gave an interview where he talked about this he's like because he's directing episodes of the orville as well right. uh, mm-hmm. as well right. you know, and he said look my mission going into orville shoot it like next generation right when i go when i go over to canada to shoot discovery i it's to look like the 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 jj abrams movies and he's just damn good at doing this. And I think it says something about how steadily he has never stopped directing from next generation to now, which says how skilled he is and how, how in demand he is. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Okay, so so Cicero, what do you think? As far as other Mirror Universe stories that you've seen, uh, how does this one – well, first of all, let's, let's establish something first. Uh, how have you? Because I'm sure you've seen all the DS9 mirror episodes, right? So have and you've seen the TOS episode, I'm sure, right? Right. right. So with this one, do do you see it as better, worse, equal to what you've seen before? Well, I I, I agree with Zachy. Um, you know, uh, as as a smart person is wont to do. Um, <laughs> and so and and uh, just as an aside, I've I've seen all of Enterprise, so I saw the uh, I've you know, like you said, I've seen I've seen the Mirror Darkly. So, um, uh, so the the it is it's a Mirror Universe episode. But I don't think we're going to have a mirror universe episode. I think, you know, I think what, what Discovery has kind of done so far with the, the 23rd century is they've kind of put, they've kind of put 22s on it. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, so like if you, you know, you take your intrigue and you turn it up to 11, um, we're going to take our mirror universe and we're going to turn it up to 11. We're not going to get a mirror universe episode. I think we're going to get a mirror universe half of season. Oh, you think so? You think we're here for the long haul? Then I think I think a little while. Yeah, I think we're here. Oh man, at at least uh, five or six episodes. Really? Um, Yeah, I I think that there is there is a a a lot of meat, and that's you know, and that's the thing that we've never done uh, in in Star Trek with the Mirror Universe, and you know, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe for good reason, and you know, I guess time will tell. Um, But the fact is that. you know, one of the key differences between uh, Discovery and all of the other ship-based Star Trek series that that have come before it is that um, you know maybe not Enterprise, but but Discovery is serialized in a way that uh, 
Star Trek, uh, TOS and TNG and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Discovery, I mean, not Discovery, uh, Voyager were not, uh, where they were, mm-hmm. you know, they were more procedural. They were more, you can jump in and jump out of any episode. Um, the fact that you're going to be able to, uh, live in this mirror universe for at least three or four episodes is something that will be intriguing. Uh, and, and that's, you know, this is me speculating. I, 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 but I, but I really believe that we're, we're here for a while. Okay. That's good perspective. And didn't even occur to me really, but, uh, Rachel, how does this rank with other mirror universe episodes? Um, so far I like it, but I, we're going to be here for a little while. I think, mm-hmm. um, I, the thing I like about the mirror universe is, kind of the cartoonish evilness of the characters. So (laughs) um, it has that with Captain Killy. (laughs) Um, And so I look forward to seeing maybe, you know, maybe some familiar faces as the emperor or, you know, something like that. Cause I like that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, Um, hey, hey, uh, you know, let's spill the beans. What do you think? What do you, who do you think the emperor is going to be? I'm leaning towards Philippa Giorgio. Uh, Wouldn't that be awesome? I shared a theory last night because we watched uh, well, we watched Dark in a Mirror Darkly yesterday, yeah. right? Uh, I kind of think that maybe they'll do a two way canonical connection where Giorgio might be the great granddaughter of Hoshi Sato. Oh wow! Kind of wonder if that, and, and so maybe she's part of the Imperial family, but I don't know if that's something that they're going to run with. That's just kind of something that that's on a wish list of mine. Let's sure. Say. Mm, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh... <laughs> well, I mean, because well, we know that the the position of emperor, just like any position of leadership in the mirror universe, is liable to be taken through murder. Yeah. So there's nothing to guarantee that Hoshi or her bloodline has yeah, helped, exactly. presuming she was even able to take over the Terran Empire at the end of. Yeah, yeah, in I a mirror feel darkly. like there's a bunch of assumptions. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I'm I'm open to that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, or um, possibly Admiral Cornwell. I don't know. What that do you think, Cicero? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I really believe I'm waiting uh, for Philippa Georgia to return to uh, to Discovery um, in, in any kind of way. Uh, besides a holographic image, um, and, you know, uh, that we've got, she, she clearly meant a lot to our lead character yeah. and, and being able to have an impact on the show beyond the impact that she has through Michael Burnham would, would be, would be, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm a wordsmith impactful. So, um, so yeah, it would, it would be awesome to see George Ao as the, as the emperor. Um, and it would, it would kind of solidify this, this mirror universe for the crew of Discovery. It would also be kind of interesting though, too, if it was Culber. Yeah, like, that would be wouldn't that weird. <laughs> I thought of that earlier today. Like, I don't think that that's going to happen, but I think right. that would be kind of a cool, uh, look at what what could have been yeah but, uh, I, I, yeah i don't i don't think uh colbert colbert def- definitely didn't have the chops you, you know i mean you got a, a sense of tilly's aspirations uh when when her and burnham were running running through the halls of discovery in the, in the awesome disco shirts uh <laughs> that that her aspirations are to potentially become captain 
Uh, so it made sense that we have Captain Killy and, oh man, please give me more Captain Killy. Um, <laughs> if, if there is, if there is no other reason to be in the mirror universe for an extended period of time, it's, it's just to hear Tilly, uh, throw out some just ridiculous barbs. Um, she's, she's amazing. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really feel, I didn't get the sense that Cobra had, uh, those type of aspirational, even, even yeah. evil version of Cobra, uh, had, had the type of aspiration to, to move forward and move up in, uh, in, in the, in the ranks to become the emperor from, yeah. from ship doctor, ship's doctor on, on a, uh, science ship to emperor of the entire Terran empire is, uh, is, is quite a leap. But there well, is there is lots of there's lots of meat on the bone of Captain Jarjao going oh there up, is. becoming becoming yeah. uh, the emperor because of who she was in the normal universe. I think that's the most likely theory. But I'm going to stake a claim right now into Emperor Ripper. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Give me forty to one odds on that. I put a hundred dollars down. That's <laughs> Yeah, that would be cool. Well, Rich, what TM. do you think of TM, TM hashtag Emperor Ripper? <laughs> Patent pending. <laughs> Has your position, Rachel, changed at all on the possibility of Lorca's native universe? Um, I am still subscribing to the theory that Lorca knew there was this other universe and he was just like really excited about it. Um, possibly because he wanted to uh, find his old ship, the Baran, correct? Mm -hmm. And maybe like, you know, have that, them all be alive. Yeah, you pointed out that his the look on his face when he asked Michael about his old crew seemed weirdly, fleetingly hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Like he seemed kind of crushed uh, by that. But, you know, that maybe I'm just reading into it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so that's my theory there. Um, sure. You know, with respect to the fact that this is going to be a few episodes in the Mirror Universe, I'm not sure they're ever going to get back to the universe they left. Really? Because there's so many, like, the Mirror Universe, no one knows about the Mirror Universe in Kirk's time, first of all. Right. There is no spore drive in Kirk's time. There is no thing that can break cloaks in in Kirk's time, right? At least that, as far as we know. That we know of. So all of these things are on the discovery that don't exist in the <clears> timeline <throat> that we know. So it makes me wonder if they're going to come back in the same way that they left. The only thing that I would respond to you about that is the adage that Spock himself spoke at the end of Mirror Mirror, the, the very first Mirror Universe episode, when he tells his Kirk it was much easier for you as civilized men to behave as barbarians, much that it was for them to behave as civilized men as barbarians. You know, like are, yeah. are the are the people on the ISS Discovery crafty enough not to just blow a bunch of shit up when they see that things are different? Well, I mean, that doesn't really. I, the idea that they might not come back to the Prime Universe doesn't. 
doesn't necessarily mean that the ISS discovery is in the prime universe. No, they theorized in this episode that they were displaced. or that. But no, they said that they had replaced them, but not necessarily that they had switched. I don't. That's the implication I got, but I, maybe I'm wrong. It's the implication that I got as well, but but I think that Rachel is technically correct. Um, I mean, if they have a spore drive and they can travel on the mycelial network to other universes, then they could have ended up somewhere entirely do different. Do they have a spore drive? Like, are we? Yeah, sure? it's not clear that they are, have a spore drive. Sure I guess not. I, have, I mean, that was the only kind of thing that I could have thought them or that I could have thought them capable of when it comes to taking the place of the ISS discovery was a a comparable propulsion system. Right. Sure. But I, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Right. Lots of questions going into next week. It seems. I'm very confused. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, any, uh, any final thoughts as we get ready to, to dismiss for the week? I think uh, so. You guys, uh, you know, Rachel, Rachel was saying and, and, and Zachy was saying that he didn't think that there was a, a definitive smoking gun for uh, Gabriel Locker being the mirror universe one. I yeah. thought that there was. Um, oh, I, really? I felt, you know, if you guys and, and apologies to anyone who, um, it gets annoyed with me referring back to black people uh, throughout this episode, <laughs> but but hopefully if, no one who listens to this show would get annoyed with something like that. But but uh, if if you're a fan of of horror films or if you're a fan of horror tropes, you know that there's the old black guy in in a horror film that seemingly knows everything that's about to happen. And knows the story of, of exactly where you are and who the bad guy is and who the monster is and, and, uh, you know, gives you, gives you little, uh, breadcrumbs as to, to, you know, as for tips on how to defeat them. Uh, I, I felt that way about, uh, Captain Lorca. Um, you did. The, the, I mean, from the second they got into the mirror universe, um, he seemed to be a step ahead of everyone else with regards to where they were what they were experiencing and what they needed to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he was very deliberate in, um, and, and uh, the other thing that he was, so he was very deliberate in, in giving people directions and the people that he wanted to shore up. He was, he was very confrontational in a way with them that he hadn't been now, you know, of course, uh, Lorca throughout the, the throughout the the first half of the season has been an enigma, um, and and you never and and unexpected, and and that was part of the delight about him. But there was something very aggressive about the way that he approached people, um, the way that he approached Colber when it when it came to how he dealt with uh, how he dealt with Stamets was was very very odd. Um, mm-hmm. you know, talking about removing him, removing Colbert from, from Stamets's care. Like who, I mean, I haven't seen another doctor on the ship. Like who the hell yeah. else was going to take care of Stamets if it wasn't going to be Colbert? Um, yeah. and you know, and who, who better to provide him with care than the person who loves him the most? Um, th- then, then he approached Burnham and, in 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 the same way, when she kind of walked Tyler back 
from the inexplicable uh, uh, shuttle ride that he went on to, yeah. to, to capture, you know, to, to grab the, the, the artifact that was so important to everybody. Um, so there, there were lots of things that really kind of made my spidey sense tingle. Um, every time made my threat ganglia, uh, rise every, every time, every time I saw Lorca on, on the screen and, and listened to him talk, I, I really do believe, uh, much to Zaki's, uh, dismay that this is the mirror universe Lorca and, and he somehow managed to, uh, displace the, the, actual michael byrne or displace the actual the the prime universe uh gabriel locker which could also explain why that gabriel locker the the mirror universe quote unquote mirror universe gabriel locker tried to kill michael burnham yeah well i was thinking something to that effect too that if this is mirror Lorca interloping into the prime universe you know, we didn't see a previous connection between Lorca and Burnham before, but if there is this connection, like if Mira Lorca knows that Burnham is resourceful from his own universe and seeks her out, and that's what causes him in his new position to break her out of prison, that might explain a little bit about why he went after her in the first place. But uh, still, I mean, it's the the possibilities are kind of endless at this point, and that just to me goes back to how engaging this show has been over the course of its whole season. So, yes. yeah, very good. Rachel, any final thoughts on this episode? I don't know. I kind of like the idea that like like our Lorca is he's from the Prime Universe, and he's like super morally gray, but Mir Lorca is like really self-righteous and good and always does the right thing <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that's why he's on the run because he's <laughs> he's against the Terran Empire. Well he did try to overthrow the Emperor. That yeah, doesn't necessarily like, mean he was a good guy. Well because he knows that the Emperor was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. I, I will tell you this though. I think that by the time we see the last image of Lorca in this episode He's probably questioning every single decision he's ever made in his life because holy hell did that look unpleasant. The agony booths in general just were horrifying. Like yes. for the first time, they were actually scary. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and kudos to Frakes and the designers of the show for photographing and designing the way that, that, that those devices looked and how they affected people because my God, that might give me a nightmare tonight. I don't know. But uh, why don't we move along? We have one listener comment before we dismiss for the week. So no questions, unfortunately, this time, maybe next time. But uh, we have one listener comment from Rob O'Connor, who gave us his thoughts on this week's episode. He said, not sure this was actually a great episode in isolation as some of the others have been. But in terms of fan service and plot payoff, it was second to none. It was the flash levels of fun in that regard. All the TOS nods were great, but the Enterprise nod with the Defiant crossing over to the Mirror Universe was insane. I never thought that show would ever get mentioned here. Kind of like Zachy said earlier. Probably my favorite Mirror Universe episode just for the sheer innovation of it. I hate how Starfleet officers are always so clueless and unprepared for situations like this. But in this show, it's just like, okay, here we are. Activate Mirror Protocol. Gulber's <laughs> death... 
hit my girlfriend and I hard. A real shame they did that. He was a nice character and it was cool seeing a healthy living LGBT relationship in Trek. While it's definitely been effective so far, the Game of Thrones style character assassinations are uncomfortable overall. I hope I'm not signing up for a Discovery Deadpool in years to come. Uh, good perspective, Rob. I think uh, I, I definitely agree with you. I hope that the shocking character death trope that is very reminiscent of Game of Thrones is not something that Discovery will adopt on a long-term basis. But as we indicated in our discussion, you know, we don't necessarily think that uh, Colbert's death is going to stick, but we'll we'll see what happens. So thank you for writing in and uh, hope you stick around for future episodes. Now, Cicero, you and the wonderful crew at Spawn on Me have quite an event coming up this weekend. So why don't you tell us about it? Oh yeah, thanks a lot. So uh my you know, my other podcast, the podcast that I cheat on uh Discovery Debrief for is uh, the Spawn <laughs> on Me podcast. And every year around uh the Martin Luther King holiday, we have a char- a charity event that we call Spawn for Good. And this is our fourth one, and I'm really, really excited about uh the charity that we chose to uh help uh and help fund this year it is called black girls code and uh it's an initiative that that is is set to educate and and help to inspire uh young black women and and you know women of color and and women in general to uh get into uh computer programming and helping them to uh remove some of the barriers uh, of entry into coding into the world of video game coding or just coding in general. So if you guys are interested in helping us out, make sure you go to our Twitter page uh, at spawn on me and check us out. And all the, all weekend long uh, members of the spawn on me family and, and our community at large uh, will be streaming on Twitch uh, twitch.tv slash spawn on me. Uh, we'll be up there all weekend raising money and raising awareness for Black Girls Code. Uh, if anyone in the debrief community would like to help, thank you very, very much. Wonderful. Great cause. And, uh, thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you for letting me. Absolutely, my friend. All right. Well, that is going to do it for episode 12 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook or Podbean. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when we return to duty for next week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. As always, though, until then, long live the Empire! (laughs) I mean... Long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. (laughs) Go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 